1: Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is Dr. Nate Zinzer, a sports psychology expert and director of the Performance Psychology Program at West Point, the United States Military Academy. Do you feel confident? This is my question to you. Are you the most confident version of yourself? Would you like to be more confident? Have you ever felt confident? Yes, you guessed it. We're going to be talking about confidence and how to access it in this episode. I came across Dr. Zinzer when I read his book, The Confident Mind, colon, a battle-tested guide to unshakable performance, and you can imagine, I immediately got my grubby hands on it and read it. And within a few pages, I knew instantly he would make a wonderful guest on this show. He was someone I was desperate to share with you, my most excellent listeners. I believe his insights can be supremely helpful to anyone who may be looking, but struggling, to access their potential as they work towards their goals. If you search Confidence on Instagram, for example, and I'm guessing a lot of you use Instagram, there are nearly 17 million results. And the top ones are, for the most part, it was just scrolling through a series of selfies with sort of quite twee messaging, telling you to either embrace who you are, not take what other people say to heart. And I'm sure you can imagine the rest, those sorts of confidence tropes that are out there. And well meaning as they might be, it's all so much easier said than done. And the reason I wanted to speak to Dr. Zinza and why I appreciate his approach to confidence so much is that he does not sugarcoat what it takes to access your confidence. He has worked with elite athletes, military personnel, and there is no one me mantra quote or magic bullet that he recommends in his work. There is no secret in his book other than it's going to take work. And thank goodness I'm so pleased because I see confidence tricks packaged up online all of the time as if a short-term investment in your confidence can help you break through to the other side as if there's some kind of bridge that you have to cross and then it's all there in front of you and it's available to you forevermore. The more accurate approach but the far less sellable one is that confidence takes time, it takes daily effort, it takes introspection it takes switching your vocabulary, and that's gonna that's not gonna be easy or happen overnight. It takes learning from failures and it takes visualization and it requires patience. And so that's what we explore in this episode. Because if there's one thing that I think we come back to time and time again, no matter who it is that we're speaking to on this podcast, it's this 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 want, this desire to tap into whichever experts' expertise in order to get to a better version of ourselves or in order to arm ourselves with information that will help us go out into the world, be better, perform better, do better, all of those things. And if you can build all of these things, use Dr. Zinza's techniques into your daily life to begin to access a more confident version of yourself, then wouldn't that be absolutely wonderful? And I'm going to share a little spoiler alert here. Your most confident self might already be within your reach. So, shall we get to it? The link to Dr. Nate Zinzer's book is in the show notes, as is uh, as are the links to the other things that he mentions. But I had such a great, uh, I had such a great time talking to him. So generous, so practical. And if you've ever felt as though confidence is something that other people have that you just don't have access to, I really think that you're going to come out of this episode and realize that that's a nonsense. And you have you're you're in such safe hands with Dr. Zinzer. Trust me he's going to take you where you want to get to. And I'm really delighted to share him with you on the show. So here making his debut, it's Dr. Nate Zinza on The Emma Gunn Show. A very, very warm welcome to the podcast, Dr. Nate Zinza. How are you?
2: Uh, Good morning, Emma. I am very well. Thank you.
1: I'm chuffed because um, I read your book. I, I love the way that you talk about confidence, which is what we're going to be really digging into in the show. But I think the thing I've enjoyed most already during our pre-show chat is the fact that uh, you said I can call you Doc Z.
2: <laughs> Please do.
1: <laughs> makes me feel more confident, more comfortable, which then obviously makes me feel more confident. So I will have already told listeners all about you in the introduction, but for the benefit of hearing it from your your mouth, your lips, please would you share with them what it is that you do and why it is that you have such a thorough knowledge of confidence in how to access it?
2: Well, I've been very privileged to have some wonderful opportunities in my life. Um, I was able to earn a PhD in the field of sports psychology um, from the University of Virginia here in the States, Um, where I studied under the tutelage and directorship of a very well-known sports psychology expert, Bob Rotella, who has um, developed a big following and a firm name for himself, advising professional golfers, um, both men and women. Uh, I studied under him for several years. And then after teaching at different university systems, I was offered the opportunity to come here to West Point to the United States Military Academy to help a newly emerging and very cutting age program of support for our young men and women who are training to be officers so that I could teach them a lot of the intangibles about human performance confidence, most obviously, in the face of repeated setbacks and difficulties, which is what we experience in this imperfect physical world of ours, to teach them how to focus and direct their attention appropriately amidst all kinds of distractions, which, again, the world presents us with time and time again, and to help them become composed and energized despite lots of stress, lots of competing demands, And the ongoing fatigue that is part of a you know military cadet officer in trainings life so i've been working at this job for just about 30 years now. Um, West Point is a remarkable institution, the academic curriculum is very, very rigorous the military training is very, very rigorous. Additionally, we have a full slate of intercollegiate competitive athletic teams so you have these young men and women who are really struggling to be excellent across the board in so many demands um, and it's been my great privilege to have mentored many of them over the course of their years and in the process of doing that i've also been exposed to some remarkable um, world-class professional athletes and world-class olympic athletes um, and so I have been blessed with the opportunity to both learn from these people and teach these people um, all kinds of things that have helped their various pursuits of success. I hope that wasn't too long, uh, long-winded long an answer.
1: I loved it. So here's the thing. Uh, listeners might be thinking, hmm, I don't have anything in my life like the high stress of the military personnel that... Uh, Doc D is dealing with every day. So do I even have any business trying to channel confidence in the same way? But it applies to anyone's life, does it not?
2: I would certainly say so. Um, And I think your listeners probably have considerable stress, considerable distractions. They're facing considerable setbacks in their own personal and professional lives. Um, Yes, we can put some of these Olympic and professional athletes up on a pedestal and say, oh, gosh, how remarkable they are. Um, They will, however, happily step down from said pedestal, happily shake hands and give a hug to any of us and say, you know. You're dealing with stuff, too, and I respect your life. You know, you're the stay at home mom. You're the guy who gets up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and has to go um, clean the streets or build the houses or deliver the mail. Um, We all face these kinds of performance challenges in our own way.
1: Now, one of the things that I really came to my mind when I was reading the book, The Confident Mind, is how it's almost cultural, and I would say perhaps even more so in the UK, to be self-deprecating, to not celebrate one's abilities or talents but to perhaps even be hyper critical of one's flaws faults and the things that might hold them back so you spend more time thinking about the negative than you do about the positive and I thought that might be a good starting point because is that really one of our first barriers to accessing the confidence that we do have access to
2: oh without question that is a huge barrier um and i'll say that the uk does not have a monopoly on that (laughs) self-deprecating tendency um i would say well i haven't lived in italy or france or anything like that um, but i know that in most western cultures we are socialized to give more attention give more energy to our shortcomings and our setbacks and our inadequacies than we are to our, um, our talents, our positive attributes, and we are indeed socialized through our schooling. You know, we we get the spelling test back and every the the four or five words out of the 20 that we missed are highlighted in bright red marker. Um, So we develop over the course of our formative years, a tendency to really zone in, tune in, focus in on our mistakes, on the weakest parts of our, say, athletic skill set, our tennis game, our golf game, to focus in on the weakest aspects of our academic skill set. You know, I'm not very good at math. I have to work very hard at math. Math is very hard for me. And we develop this tendency to really be hyper aware, almost hyper vigilant of all our various imperfections. Now to a certain extent, that's okay, but it's only to a certain extent. There is a point at which that sort of slant, that self-deprecating tendency begins to work against us. It, it puts more thoughts into our mind. It makes us become more analytical and more judgmental and more self-critical During the moments when it's important for us to actually release what we know, it gets in the way of us seeing what is around us, in terms of the flight of the tennis ball, for example, Mm -hmm. in terms of actually looking at the questions on the physics exam, it interferes with our recall of the knowledge that we do have, that we have acquired through our diligent study. And I'm I'm assuming everybody has done the diligent study here. I'm not saying that you can't do that. You got to do the diligent study. And then that, again, that tendency to be um, hyperanalytical, hypercritical, hyperjudgmental interferes with our brain just delivering to our, our eyes, our muscles, our body, the precise instructions in order to hit that tennis ball or to work out that physics problem. So we have to... Honor our inner workhorse, so to speak, but we also have to honor our inner resource and give that a chance to work.
1: So I guess we have to be we have to really get into tune with ourselves and be honest, both about the things that we need to work on and the things that perhaps we are good at, but still need to work on.
2: Absolutely. And it's it's so remarkable to listen to, you know, any one of my students, any one of my trainees. Who admit that boy, I'm really not very good at letting in the good of my life. I've I've heard that exact statement, you know, from individuals who are training for their third Olympic team. They would not have been in a position to compete for a first or a second, let alone a third Olympic team, if they weren't pretty darn good at what they do. But this tendency to overlook our the best aspects of ourselves and to be as you put it more self deprecating is so well ingrained in us that this individual you know finally admitted yeah i gotta be better at letting in the good at acknowledging that yes i just achieved a personal record um in this particular strength event i just achieved a breakthrough in my um technique here um And I'm quite certain that it was the ability to look for the best in yourself, to honor the best in yourself, that contributed to that individual's Olympic medal. Uh.
1: I heard someone describe it recently in an interview saying that if you don't enjoy the successes as they happen, they aren't like investments that accumulate and you can enjoy them more so retrospectively. But you have to enjoy them in the moment because it wanes.
2: You absolutely have to enjoy them in the moment. Enjoyment of your progress, enjoyment of small successes, that emotional uh, component of enjoyment is basically like glue, and that cements the memory into your longer-term memory. And so it's easier for you to go back to it. It's easier for you to bring it up. It's easier for you to live in the certainty of those accomplishments if you've really allowed them allowed yourself to enjoy them rather than discount them and conversely if you invest a a large amount of emotion in the disappointments of your past you cement those memories into your long-term storage your long-term hard drive and boy is it easy to get people to talk about their setbacks, their disappointing losses. Some people have even convinced themselves that I really need to remember that horrific failure, the sting of that loss in order to motivate me to continue training. Um, I question the universal value of that in my work. And I've seen a lot of people say, hmm, maybe it's better for me to energize myself through The sense of eagerness and joy and excitement of what I could do, rather than try to motivate myself through the pain and agony of something terrible that happened to me last week, last month, or 15 years ago.
1: I've been very honest with listeners on this podcast about some of the um, challenges that I have been through in terms of mental health and struggling with some self-sabotaging behaviors. And I know that the, the biggest thing that is in my way at most times usually is me. And sometimes I'm the obstacle that I need to either get over, get under, get round or get through. Is that pretty much the same for everybody? Is that usually where it starts?
2: i think that is where it always starts it can ooze out into other areas and certainly there's some objective difficulties that we all face Um, as they say in the military the enemy always gets a vote Um, unfortunately right now in the small nation of ukraine the Russians are discovering that the Ukrainians get a vote in their uh, geopolitical actions. Okay, the enemy gets a vote. There are things that happen in the world, but it is our reaction to those things, our response to those things, that we have tremendous power over. And we, when we get better and better at exercising that power, the outside forces lessen in their... Um, intensity over us
1: now it could sound like what we're saying is it's just a case of flipping your mindset from half um, glass half empty to half to glass half full I always get those the wrong way around but I should stop saying that shouldn't I, I should say I never get those the wrong way around um is it as simple as that is that literally where you can begin is just to try to think just shift your vocabulary
2: Shifting one's vocabulary like that is tremendously important. Um, I never use glass half full, glass half empty. I always think, well, I'm just part way next up. I'm part way toward a full glass. Um, and I'm always looking for the full glass. Um, yet it is a matter of flipping the vocabulary you use, and words are just so powerful. Um, the difference between saying to yourself, I'm excited, versus I'm nervous or even I'm eager versus I'm excited. Just those three words that we tend to use almost interchangeably have tremendously different impacts on our emotional state. Um, So becoming more sensitive, becoming more alert, really looking at your language is hugely important. And it is in so many ways, as simple as flipping a switch, but that doesn't mean it's easy. And you have to flip that switch over and over and over again. Um, in one of the chapters of the book, I describe, you know, some very simple techniques for talking back to your own negative voice that voice in the back of your head that says why did you do that you could have done so that's so much better oh gosh you better not mess this up you can always talk back to that voice and basically get the last word in win the argument um the way you might have done so with an obnoxious sibling or you know somebody else in your life the technique to do that is rather straightforward but the difficulty is in accepting the fact that You're going to have to do it over and over again. There's no single decisive victory that you can win over those particular enemies. It's more like an ongoing insurgency that you have to fight. Second point is you have to realize that everybody is going through this. Even the so-called remarkable champions, you know, the Serena Williamses of the world, they have their own negativity don't think for a minute that people at that echelon of success are bulletproof and they don't have their own well-developed internalized voice of fear doubt and insecurity she's got it we all have it she's just pretty good at working on it um if you're as good as she is well you give yourself a chance to be as good in your world as she is in her world and I think the third thing to realize about that negative self-talk is that it's always going to hit you where it hurts. It's going to know that, yes, you're the most insecure about your, uh, your, your cross-court backhand or your second serve. It's always going to know that one little thing, that little chink in your armor, and it's going to attack you there. But if you're simply willing to acknowledge that it happened... Stop that voice when it took place. Replace it with something else that you have been diligently observing. Some of your qu- episodes of quality effort, some of your episodes of small success, acknowledging your progress in certain areas, you will always have an argument with which to get in the last word. Mm. But you're going to have to do it over and over and over again, folks. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't sugarcoat it for you.
1: It's one of my favorite sayings is consistent effort over time equals results. That's, that's, yes, it's not sexy. And it's not going to make me a billionaire. It's it's, it's not sexy. It's just, you know, this
2: is perhaps where somebody's well-developed work ethic can actually work in their favor. I have to be diligent about looking at my own tendency to undermine myself the same way I have to be consistent in doing my physical training regimen or doing my professional training to upgrade my product knowledge, my customer base knowledge, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I have to be diligent about that stuff. I got to be diligent about talking back to the voice in my own head.
1: Because it comes back to the definition you give in the book, actually, about confidence, which I think if anyone's listening to this and try to conjure up what you think confidence is, it probably is presenting itself to you as someone who you think looks as though they've got everything sorted. But your definition from the book is a sense of certainty about your ability, which allows you to bypass conscious thought and execute unconsciously.
2: That's exactly what I think is helpful on a functional level for most people, okay? You, we all have developed certain knowledge, certain skills, certain abilities. Confidence is just being certain enough in those that we don't have to think about how we do something when we're doing it. Um, You tie your shoes automatically. It's a very complicated activity. It requires hundreds of muscles and joints and nerve endings and uh, sensory organs. watch the waiter at the restaurant effortlessly open the bottle of wine while he or she is reciting the specials of the day. Or, you know, the bartender at the pub who will pour the beer perfectly while telling you about last night's football match. Okay, that skill of holding the mug and drawing the handle right time. You know, we don't think of it as any kind of impressive activity. It does require some skill, but the same thing goes for your golf swing, your tennis uh, stroke, your uh, reading of a spreadsheet. You have the skill. Are you going to allow yourself to be certain about it and basically say, okay, I know how to do this. I don't have to think about it anymore. And it becomes more natural, more automatic, more instinctive, and that's where the magic of human performance lies.
1: Mm. And so what we need to work on is this building up our – bank account, building up our reserves of all of those good memories so that we have access to them when we need them so that we can just, as you say, unconsciously execute what we need to do.
2: Right. So so you get to the point where you finally say, hey, I'm enough. I'm enough. I've got what I need. I don't have to think about it anymore. <sighs> Again, going back to what we we're talking about earlier in terms of self-deprecation, we are not encouraged, in general, to believe at a point that we are enough. So much of our educational system, so much of our socialization has encouraged us to constantly think, I need to get better, I need to work harder, I can never allow myself to be enough. It's so rare in our world that we allow ourselves the momentary state of certainty I'm enough, okay? Now, you can go back to working on yourself and striving to improve and working on your strength and working on your cardiovascular efficiency, working on your technical skill sets, whatever they may be, once you are out of the actual performance arena. But you really can't afford to think like that when you are playing the match, when you are in the interview. At those moments, it behooves you to have the sense of certainty, this, I'm enough for now. And that allows you to step away from the uncertainty, of giving yourself that gift of momentarily, okay, right now, I've got what I've got. Right now, I am going to believe that it is enough. Maybe I didn't study everything for that history exam. Maybe I didn't really nail the review questions for, say, chapter nine. But I'm not going to walk into the exam room saying, oh, please, dear Lord, let there be no questions from chapter nine because I didn't study that one. You got to walk into that exam thinking, I know what I know. I studied what I could study. Let's see how well I can do. As opposed to, oh, please, I hope this isn't too hard. That's a huge shift in perspective. But every one of us has the ability to get ourselves to make that kind of shift when it is time for us to step into our respective performance arena.
1: You, you know, what's slightly hard hearing that is thinking about all of the things that I have stepped into in my life with the wrong attitude and wondering how it would have turned out had I read your book earlier.
2: Well, don't go there, Emma. <laughs> All right. From here on in, you just think about how great it might be stepping into my next arena. Yeah. Um, knowing what you know now, um, looking back with regret. Oh, Don't do that. You don't have to do that. Life's too short for that. You mm-hmm.
1: know, Um. But even I was just thinking at the moment, um, for example, I have applied to a very exclusive members club and it can take, you can get through very quickly or it can take years to get approved. And so my, my immediate thing is, oh, well, you know, it can take years. And I was reading the book thinking, that's the worst attitude to have about it, because then you're going to not necessarily make it real. My thoughts aren't going to impact a committee of board members approving me, but it's still a crappy mindset.
2: Yeah, why don't you have the idea that, okay, it's going to happen as soon as it can happen. I am ready for it to happen. And I'm looking forward to it happening rather than carrying around with you the sort of weight of, oh, it could be a long time. It could be a long time. It could be a long time. Your mind can go there. That's a choice that Mm -hmm. you have. It's a choice that I wouldn't advise you to take. Take the... Take take the other road, take the other path at that particular fork. I can think about this any way I choose. I can think about this happening rather quickly, rather effectively, and my life benefiting accordingly, or I can think about how long and drawn out and difficult it might be. Take your pick, ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> well, that would be the sewer cycle, what you've just described. Exactly.
2: Yeah. That's that's just the way of you know if if your mind goes to this is going to be long, this is going to be difficult. um, I'm very uncomfortable with it, then you can just sort of feel that sort of almost sickly depressing emotional state come around and boy your biology is going to directly respond to that change in your emotional state. Those, the neural connections between uh, the emotional centers in our brain and various uh, glands.
0: Life is full of what ifs, some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry?
2: everything adjusts accordingly. And so flesh eating stress chemicals will be pumped into your bloodstream. Your muscles will tighten, your heart rate will change depending on how those emotional centers in your brain have been stimulated by the conscious thoughts that you have chosen to entertain. And I use the word chosen deliberately. And naturally as our body goes into that particular physical state, it's going to affect our execution. So let's understand that that is happening pretty much 24 seven. I mean, we are biological entities, our bodies are a function of so much of how we feel and how we feel is so much a function of how we think. So let's be grown up about it and see if we can put our minds in in a condition in a state where, okay, this is this could happen. This is a good p- outcome to think about. Let's see how well we can prepare ourselves for that. Let's see how well we can execute here. That changes your mood. That changes the <laughs> physical state that your body is in. That physical state probably is going to put you in the best possible condition to execute, perform um, wherever you happen to be.
1: And so, There's some daily work that we can do, isn't there, to build up that bank account, to build up those reserves, because if it doesn't come naturally, if you are perhaps more of a sewer cycle thinker, then it's going to take this daily consistent work to build up those reserves so that at some point there's a tipping point and you begin to move into the success cycle way of thinking.
2: Yes, it is a matter of daily work, and I hope that WOR, K word is not the worst four letter word in anybody's vocabulary. It's going to take some attention to how you think and a deliberate choice to change how you think. At the end of the day, will you look back at the day and perhaps record either, you know, on a piece of paper or on a notes app or somewhere um, a, an episode or two? good effort that you put in during the course of the day did you indeed face up to your procrastination at some point in the day and get something done that you really weren't fired up about doing but you did it anyway because you knew you had to do it you should give yourself credit for that that is a little deposit into your mental bank account okay looking back on the day again was there a small success that you achieved did you get something right you know Did you perform a function at your job? Even if it is a regular to be expected function, did you perform it well? Give yourself credit for that. Notate that on the paper. That's another deposit into the mental bank account. And if you can look back on today, look back on yesterday, is there a sense that you're getting better at anything? Are you making progress? So just that little daily reflective exercise is one way to build your bank account, build your collection of memories so that you have more to feel certain about when it's time to step onto the tennis court, step onto the pitch, step into the um, interview room, or even have to, you know, step into the argument between your kids and separate them and get them to behave um whatever it is if you give yourself steady credit for the things that you are doing well however small they may be you equip yourself mentally and emotionally to perform with more confidence in the future that's just one of the simple daily practices that we can use to build our mental bank account
1: and actually just taking us back to something you said earlier about we all maybe in our upbringing picked up bits of baggage along the way that maybe weigh us down in a way that takes us down the sewer cycle. Does it matter what that baggage is? Do you have to identify it and, and before you can move beyond it? Or do you just have to acknowledge that it's there and continue forward anyway?
2: This is a debate that many psychologists will have. Um, I am of the opinion that it's perhaps less important to dig back into your past, to identify the source of some of this stuff. um, It's less important to do that than it is to right now in the present, make a constructive decision about how to think, okay? You can do the digging into your past and maybe you'll learn something about something that happened at some point when you were a youngster. But even when you get there and get that answer, you're still going to have to make this right decision in the present about being constructive. So you might as well start being constructive now. You might as well be, start being constructive now. Um, one of the one of the things that I find so interesting in my work is people coming to me with the question, um, why do I have so much trouble with this? And this being anything, why, you know, why am I having trouble um, in this course? Why am I having trouble with this part of my sport? Why am I having trouble with this part of my professional work? Um, And I'm always confronting them with how valuable is it? How useful is it for you to be preoccupied with that particular question? The why, the why, the why, the why you can go down that and this wonderful um search engine in your brain will search for answers to that question why is it this so difficult okay you may get an answer to that question you know it's kind of like doing a google search you're going to get a couple good answers but boy you're going to get a lot of garbage at the same time why not ask a different question and that question being how can i get this right quickly and easily pursuing that question I think has much more utility and much more value to people in this world today than the answer to the question, why is this so hard for me? Once you have the answer to the question, why is it so hard? Then you've got to start looking at how to do it more readily, more quickly, more easily, more effectively. What, how about just putting yourself to that ladder question right now? How can I get this right? What do I have to do to improve with this? most uh, constructively, most easily, most readily? How can I get this right now? That's a much more useful question to pursue.
1: uh, There's a brilliant quote I read of yours, and I can't remember whether it's in the book or in an article that I read, but it is, is your present way of thinking consistent with the level of success you'd like to have? And ever since I read that, that's been such a great check-in. When I can feel myself spiraling, I think, hmm, is the present way that I'm thinking consistent with the level of success I'd like to have with this? And if exactly. it's not, I try and shift it. All right, uh, that
2: that question is basically a guideline for, wow, I would say 80, 90% of what I do all day long with any kind of uh, student or client, you know. What is it that you want to accomplish? Well, I want to get to this level in my profession. I want to get to this level of competition or achievement in my chosen sport, whatever it is. Okay, that's where you wanna go. Do you think about yourself consistently, consistent with that vision? Is the quality of your thinking consistent with the level of success, the level of performance that you want to have? If it is, great, keep doing it. If it's not, well, let's change our mind a little bit so that how we think is consistent with how we want to be and what we want to achieve in our personal and professional lives.
1: What about external feedback when it comes to matching? Okay, so you've got to match, um, is the way that you're thinking consistent with the success you'd like to have? But then there can be noise and chatter around you that can sometimes impact those things. How do you build up a resilience or Kevlar so that you're only consuming, you're only absorbing the constructive criticism that will help you and you're not allowing yourself to be torn down? And the reason I'm asking this is because whenever I've, I can definitely think of situations where I felt confident in something and then a sharp bit of feedback or or what have you has made me think, oh, I was way too cocky. And then I sort of, you know, like a snake on snakes and ladders, I just go down a few levels.
2: Very important question. You're, what you're basically asking me, Emma, is how do you deal with a sudden reversal of fortune, so to speak? Okay. And we are all going to experience those kinds of things. We're all going to experience, you know, setbacks, our best laid plans will at times fall apart. What is the quality of our response to those setbacks? You need not respond to a setback with, oh, my gosh, I was really doing things wrong. Oh, my gosh, I really didn't, you know, prepare myself properly. You can protect your confidence, protect your certainty, so to speak, by trying to keep all those mistakes, those setbacks, those um, attacks, if you will, in their proper perspective, looking, okay, it happened, but it just happened in that one place. Keep it there, small. Yes, it happened, but it happened that one particular time, or maybe even those two or three or four particular times, but it was just those times, as opposed to, oh, it happens over and over and over again. You don't need to go there mentally. Yeah, it happened. It happened that time. It happened that time. It happened in that place. That doesn't mean it's destined to happen over and over again. You can be very, very um, judicious, very, very protective of yourself. And you can also think that a, a mistake that took place, or a setback, or even, you know, a, a real blow to one's, you know, what could be interpreted as a real blow to one confidence, to one's confidence. You can interpret that as okay, that's not representative necessarily of me. I'm not going to identify myself with that problem, with that mistake, with that setback. Yes, it happened. And maybe there's some information inherent there that I can use to learn something, to improve something, which sets me up for future success. But I'm not going to allow myself to think, oh, I made a mistake. Maybe I'm not suited for this job, this sport, this this relationship. I will not allow myself to think that it happened. There it happened that one time, and it's not the definitive truth about me. So having the sense of protecting your confidence is very useful. I would say necessary because we live in this physically imperfect universe where all kinds of things go wrong. Let's face that, folks. Um, Human beings evolved over hundreds of thousands of years during very difficult environmental conditions. The ice ages formulated so much of who we are as human beings. Those were difficult times we have learned to survive by keeping the difficulty of the moment temporary by keeping the difficulty of the moment in one situation or location we've kept the difficulty of the moment isolated or externalized from our opinion of who we are we all have the ability to make those distinctions
1: Mm. So one of my questions is going to be, how can you identify that you have a legacy for success? Thinking about the person who might listen, who really is struggling to see it or feel it. But as you've just outlined, it really is there. It's about how you're choosing to view it. And from what you just said about um, protecting yourself, it's not to say that the bad stuff or the setbacks don't happen. It's to minimize them so that they don't dominate.
2: Exactly. A mistake happened. But it happened in the past, a mistake happened, but it happened in a particular setting or location or situation. It happened, but it's not the definitive word on who I am. You, I don't like the idea of ignoring mistakes, setbacks. No, you don't ignore them at all. You keep them in a constructive perspective. If you see it, it happened. Okay. What can I learn from it? Oh, it happened over there. Oh, what do I need to do in that situation next time? Oh, it happened, but it's not the truth about me. I do not need to overly dwell upon it. I can take whatever useful information there might be inherent in those mistakes. I can learn something. I can probably get better. So I don't fear the mistakes anymore. It's not that I like them. No great athlete, no great professional, no great performer likes to make mistakes. But they don't fear making the mistakes.
1: There's a big difference. Mm. And there's lots of examples in the book about Olympic athletes. And in particular, I think it's the uh, ice skater who in the practice has a terrible session, just screws everything up and goes out and nails it in the real thing. And it was because almost the mindset was, well, if I'm going to screw it up, I'll screw it up there. But that doesn't mean that I will in the performance.
2: Exactly. Um, What happened in the warm-up doesn't matter. I have enough sense of myself having executed very well in other moments and at other times. I'm going to think about those rather than I'm going to think about how difficult the warm-up was.
1: Uh, Yeah. And that does bring us to visualization. I know we've talked as well about um, the physical impacts that our thoughts can have on the body. But again, a great example in the book is when uh, a sprinter, I believe it was, was hooked up to all the machines and was just asked to visualize running the race. And the tendons were twitching, and obviously lying on a table, but the muscles were responding to the visualization in the order of which the body would have been moving.
2: Yeah, that's a remarkable piece of research, which, ladies and gentlemen, took place back in the 1930s. Um, we have, with, with very primitive electromyographic equipment, that's equipment that could measure electrical activities in muscles. These days, we have far more sophisticated um, methods uh, to look at physiological functions, but... The proof is, as you pointed out, Emma, if you vividly imagine the execution of any movement skill, um, sprinting for 100 meters or serving the tennis ball or stepping up to make a basketball shot or whatever it is, if you vividly imagine it, your brain is sending signals down to your spinal cord, out to the various nerves that activate muscular contraction, and you're going to get a little bit of that same command to the muscles to contract and relax in the sequence that they have to contract and relax when you're actually doing the activity. Um, According to one study that I cite in the book, you activate about 25% of the signal strength when you envision or visualize any kind of activity. Now, by doing so, you are giving your nervous system repetitions of the skill that you wish to perfect. And if you want a good first serve, second serve, whatever the skill is, it's all about repetitions. Okay, why don't you give yourself quality mental repetitions? That is a way of literally rewiring or streamlining the wiring in your nervous system, it's like converting that small one-lane country road to a smoothly paved two-lane or four-lane superhighway, which allows signals and traffic to move much more quickly.
1: And the the other thing about the visualization technique is, is to be in your body, not looking at yourself doing it. That's another crucial one, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that perspective from what I refer to as the internal or the GoPro point of view. Mm -hmm. If you're going to envision a performance, whether it's on an athletic field or in a boardroom or in an operating room or wherever, you want to be envisioning exactly what you're going to be seeing when you are there, looking out your own eyes that helps you feel the movement of your hands the instruments in your fingers the communications around you much more um, powerfully than if you are in an external perspective looking at yourself performing as if you would watch yourself on a on a video screen no be in your body be in your body see the environment around you, feel your feet on the floor or wherever they are, sense your body moving. This way you're engaging a lot more of those neural pathways and you are enabling your practice to be more effective.
1: What if you are uh, practicing towards something that is within your reach? So it's still, you're not doing it yet, but it's reasonably within your grasp. What about if you have a goal that is something that you've never ever done before and it's so far out of your comfort zone? And the reason I'm asking is because of the quote from Roger Bannister about humble enough to do the work, arrogant enough to believe you can do it. And I'm just, for anyone who's listening to this, who is inspired and wants to get more confident, is willing to do the work, but also has some big goals and they've got a long way to go to reach them, but they really want to get there. How would you advise that they start that journey?
2: Well, I think it's fine to keep that long term, big audacious goal um, somewhere in your mind. You might want to put a little sign on your wall about it, a picture or a symbol that represents it. That's great. But I think the majority, maybe 60 to 80 percent of the envisioning, visualizing work that you do is not about the attainment of that goal. But it's about you doing the things that lead you to that. It's you doing the practice, you d- making progress in your skill set, in your knowledge that is going to lead you to that. If you want to become a successful neurosurgeon, you want to envision yourself successfully completing parts of the surgery as you are mentored by your uh, attending surgeon. If you want to be a successful footballer and you want to play um, for Man U or whoever, okay, maybe you need to see yourself just making a lot of beautiful corner kicks and really playing great defense against your teammates right now. These are the things that are gonna lead you toward that eventual goal. So, yeah, go, go ahead and imagine how great it'll be to put on that jersey, how mm. great it'll be to come out, you know, and play at Wembley Stadium or uh, Centre Court at Wimbledon. But let's also envision some of the work that you're going to be doing, some of the progress that you need to make, some of the skills that you need to acquire and, and improve upon um, while you are on
1: that journey. Because this confidence work, the work that you're describing has to run in tandem with doing the actual work. So if you do want to become a professional footballer, you have to be putting the time on the pitch and training and practice. And I think in the book, you say that actually the mindset is people are willing to put in those many, many hours of practice and working up a sweat and putting in the hours. But actually it's the visualization side of it that sometimes can be a harder sell. Is that right? Indeed,
2: people are willing to work really hard. But are people willing to see themselves succeeding? Are people willing to see the end result of all that work? Are you willing to look at what you did today and say, "Yeah, that's getting me closer," and now, now that long-term goal, ooh, isn't so far away anymore? You know? Are you, you know, are you willing? To actually see yourself succeeding at that big thing as a function, as a result of your diligent work today, or are you going to be like the average individual who's going to say, yeah, I did a lot of work today, but boy, I sure got a long way to go. And I'm not certain if I'm going to make it. That's Mm -hmm. the distinction, ladies and gents.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is the distinction. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, I want to leave our wonderful listeners who spent their time with us in this episode um, with something that I hope will really uh, galvanize them and make them want to move forward with purpose and i think one of the things when reading the book is that the rules apply whether it's the nfl quarterback and forgive me you're rattling off english and british um sporting places <laughs> uh, very well but i'm not very good at doing the same reciprocating when it comes to american football but you talk about olympic athletes nfl players and obviously military personnel in really high-stakes situations But the same rules apply no matter what your journey is and what confidence you're trying to build. Everybody has these, it's these techniques that they need to use.
2: Very true. Don't think for a minute, ladies and gents, that if you're not, you know, competing at a, you know, Premier League football team or performing at, uh, you know, the highest levels of corporate responsibility, that These particular ways of looking at yourself, ways of talking to yourself, ways of interpreting setbacks, they can be just as valuable in your everyday life as they are for these people who we sometimes put on a pedestal and think of as being quite extraordinary. No, they're ordinary people like you and I. They may have a few genetic talents that we don't but you probably have a genetic talent or two that they don't have. Let's get excited about that and see how far it can take us.
1: Mm. What would you say to somebody who perhaps is thinking, oh, I don't know what talents I do have. Uh, Do you think, because we all get into the, it's very easy to get on the corporate ladder and fall into jobs that maybe we're not passionate about. If someone's listening to this and they're thinking, I I wonder what my actual talent is. Any tips for how they could get to the bottom
0: of that. I'd
2: ask them the question, what do you seem to be just naturally good at? You know, is it playing the guitar? Is it singing? Is it um, mathematics skills? Is it English skills? Is it an appreciation of nature? or an ability just to discern different things out there amongst the fields and the trees and the birds and the bees. What what are you just naturally good at? That's the definition of talent, I think, or at least one way to look at talent. And then, okay, I'm really good at this. And then the next piece of talent is. Are you willing to develop that? Do you have a desire to develop that particular thing that you just happen to be good at. Um, Hopefully, the thing that you are just naturally good at is something that you enjoy doing, and you won't mind working at it. Mm -hmm. You won't mind doing a lot of it. Um, And when we merge that sort of natural, almost instinctive uh, ability at something with a joy in doing it. Ooh, that can take us to a nice place.
1: Mm. So
2: that's, so that's the question. That's the way I, I'd, I'd address your question. Emma. What, if you, if you don't know what you're talented at, ask yourself the question, well, what do I just seem to be automatically good
1: at? You'll find the answer therein. Mm. And I will just say that you talk about this book in your book, but mastery, is a great book about, (laughs) basically, it just makes you realize hard work is worth, it's worth continuing with. Because even if you feel as though you've plateaued, at some point, you're going to make an incremental increase in your ability. And it might be a small improvement as you get better and better and better. But if there's ever a book, and it's a short book, listeners, and I'll put the, the link in the show notes, that will convince you to keep at it. I think, I think actually they should come in a bundle the, the uh, mastery and the confident mind. I think they'd be, yeah. they're great companions.
2: Yeah. If, if, if I, if my book, the confident mind is on a bookshelf next to George Leonard's little book mastery, um, I will be deeply honored forever. Um, Cause that is indeed an excellent uh, piece. That's one of my top 10 recommendations for everybody.
1: Same. And very, very easy to read. And uh, you can see that your book is red. I have a red bookshelf. I'll put mastery next to it if that makes you feel better. Great. <laughs> um, Dr. Z, Doc Z, it's been so lovely to speak to you. And genuinely, I um, said to Dr. Z before we started recording that I don't like these people who sell confidence as a meme or some kind of mantra. Um, I love the fact that you package confidence up as what it really is, which is work and effort but that does get you results. And so I'm really delighted that we've had this conversation.
2: Um, It has been a pleasure and I wish all your listeners the very best for 2022.
1: The link to uh, the book, The Confident Mind, will be in the show notes, but thank you so much for joining me.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter, where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.